facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A marvelous Monday to you. Welcome to another week. It's so good to be with you on The Kale Clark Show. And hey, if you want to give this number a call, you can talk to me for free. 888-914-9149 is our listener line here for you on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. I love hearing from you guys. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. You can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We have so much to get to today. It's going to be a really exciting show. I can't wait. But in case you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. And if you are new to the show, I hope you'll stick around, check things out, look around the place. Usually it takes people a couple weeks to figure out, okay, I, I know what this guy's all about now. But I want to give you some highlights in case you missed anything last week. Producer Jim has done you the great favor of putting together a little, confecting a little ear candy for you. We call it the week that was here on the Kale Clark Show. Check it out. I guess he's now our unofficial NHL correspondent. John Scott uh, joins me. Yeah, I guess I am the unofficial <laughs> NHL guy here for Rattle Radio. First of all, one, one thing that you and I are clearly not are profits. John joined me at the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I had picked Edmonton against Toronto. Of course, I had to pick Toronto in the, in the final. John, I think you had Edmonton and the New York Rangers, if memory serves. How shocked were you that these two teams wound up playing for Lord Stanley's mug? Not too shocked about Vegas. They were first place in the Pacific, so they were kind of an easy pick, but we both liked Edmonton. They're a fun team to watch. But I, I was very surprised about Florida. They snuck into the playoffs. Luckily, they got some help from a few other teams to, to get some wins, and they were the eighth seed. They have somehow slayed three Dragons to get to the yeah. finals. They've now faced four of the top five teams in the NHL, and they beat the first three. So it's, it's been an incredible run for the Florida Panthers. I, I figured there'd be a merger at some point, like years down the road, but today? I said, it's gotta, it's gotta be some sort of a, a satire piece. No way. And it was a legit story. And then about two seconds after that, Patrick Alog, producer at large here at Relevant Radio, Patrick basically said, I'm done with the PGA Tour. And so, and you, you, you've had enough. Uh, you, I think you're done. I think you're, you're, you're ready to pack it in. With the PGA Tour, at least, I'm gonna still watch the majors. Those are not PGA Tour run. Uh, I know there's a lot of technicalities regarding that, but I, I drew the line in the sand in terms of watching PGA Tour events such as the Players' Championship and, and all, basically the regular events, not the majors. Those are not yeah. PGA Tour. Cetrez said, Never have more tender words come to make my soul rejoice. The elevator which must raise me to the heavens is your arms, O Jesus. For that, I do not need to grow. On the contrary, I must necessarily remain small, become smaller and smaller. Oh my God, you have surpassed what I expected, and I want to sing your mercies." End of quote. So that's from her autobiography. Isn't that incredible? That's just great, great spiritual wisdom and insight. It's going out to Mike in Havertown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mike. Hey, listen, um, my older sister was dating a guy, kind of like him. And she had a deep devotion to St. Therese. She said, listen, if this guy's the guy, you got to do me a specific combination of roses, but they have to be four yellow, four white, four pink. So this guy, he says, hey, listen, give me 12 roses. I'm bringing them over to uh, my sister, you know, my sister Marine. So anyway, the guy says, oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. I only have a few roses left. I don't even know if I got 12. So he says, well, whatever you got. So that's what it was. It was four white, four pink, and four yellow. So he drives over to her house. 
and uh, knocks on the door. She answers, and he gives her <laughs> the roses, and she like stood there like motionless, and she was like, but the breath was taken away from her, <laughs> and so she knew that this was a guy. Mike, that is an incredible story. Yeah, talk about a specific answer to prayer. My goodness. God is the one who created marriage. We didn't cook this up ourselves. And man and wife are, are meant to complement one another. Together, they really image God. And that, that's what JP2 said in the theology of the body. It's not so much in the moment of solitude that they image God as individual humans, but in the moment of communion. The first man, the first woman, become a communion of persons. In the year 1264, Pope Urban issues a papal bull. So he's like, okay, there's going to be a feast of Corpus Christi for the entire church. And it's going to happen on the Thursday following the octave of Pentecost, the eight-day feast of Pentecost. So we're going to have this for the universal church. And he explains in the, in the papal bull, people don't believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. There is a lack of faith. There's a lack of faith. There's a lot of heresies about the Eucharist, a lot of false teachings. And so we need to not just have this feast day, but we, we've got to worship Jesus in the Eucharist. Absolutely. Well, epic music there. Producer Jim, uh, spinning the week that was for us here on the Kale Clark Show. And hey, if you ever missed uh, any of those episodes, you can check out the app Hope you can download it. It's a great app on your smartphone, the Relevant Radio app, or go to the website, relevantradio.com. And if you're listening on one of our almost 200 stations all across the great United States of America, I want to welcome you to the program. Maybe you're listening overseas on the Relevant Radio website, streaming live. Of course, we are there, as we always do. We want to reach the whole world for Christ through the media. That's our mission here at Relevant Radio. we got so much to talk about on that front today got to ask you this question. I always say that God plays the long game with people's lives. In, in our lives, he, he, he is the God of second chances, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances. He's so unbelievably patient with us, and that's why we should never give up on anybody. God certainly never does. He always takes the long view. Now, of course, we, we don't know exactly how much time we have left on this planet, so we have to be uh, very cognizant of always as as far as it depends on us, being in God's good graces and being in that state of grace, state of friendship with God. But I think about people like Dr. Scott Hahn, and, and if Dr. Scott Hahn happens to be listening, which I highly doubt, but I, I, I hope I'm not um, getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that reading his spiritual biography, which is called Rome Sweet Home, about his journey back to the Catholic Church, he was a Protestant minister, of course, and... Uh, also a professor, a seminary uh, official in the administration, all that sort of stuff. And, and you know the story. Uh, he entered the Catholic Church and has become uh, a world-famous theologian, and he's the director of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology as well. When he was a kid, when he was a teenager, he was a JD, and by that I don't mean a Juris doctor. You know, this isn't an advanced degree. I'm talking about, I think he was a juvenile delinquent, and I, I'm pretty sure he was in trouble with the law. Maybe it was for, I don't know, I can't, I'm trying to remember what it was. Was it shoplifting? I don't know. So, Dr. Hahn, I do apologize if I'm getting this wrong. Don't sue me. But he, he would be the first to say that he wasn't quite online with God at, the, at that point. So if you look at the teenage Scott Hahn, you might be tempted to give up on this guy. Well, God didn't. And uh, this is one thing we have to know, that God always plays the long game. So 
If you've got a story about yourself or someone else that you know where God played the long game with you or with someone else that you love, someone else that you know, I'd love to hear about it. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. What made me think about this was I was uh, scrolling through Twitter today, and I, the rather shocking news that that today marks the forty second anniversary of the release of one of my favorite movies of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, the first Indiana Jones movie. And there's going to be another one. Talk about playing the long game. Harrison Ford, he's now 80 years old. There's going to be a new installment of the film. As you know, it's coming out, I think, June 30th. And it's called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I I don't know whether they should have made this movie. I don't know if it's going to be uh, any good. Well, the jury's still out on that, I guess. But... But everybody remembers, hopefully, the first one. If you haven't seen it, man, you, you got to check it out. Just, a, just a, a fantastic film. So many great little factoids about the film, which I'll share with you in just a second. One about Harrison Ford in particular, that it does have a spiritual application. It really does. But here is a little clip from the 1981 film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Give me the whip. Throw me the idol. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip. Adios, señor. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. And no, nobody likes the snakes. That that is for sure. And and. I've worked on archaeological digs in the Holy Land. Trust me, it's not nearly as glamorous or as exciting as Indiana Jones made it out to be. But uh, great, great film. And uh, some incredible facts about the film. I don't know if you know this. Harrison Ford was not the first choice to play Indiana Jones. Uh, Steven Spielberg, who directed the film, George Lucas, convinced him to do it. He said, I've got a story you're not, you're not going to want to miss directing. And at the time, apparently Steven Spielberg, this is in the late 70s when they started talking about this, he was uh, supposed to direct a James Bond film starring Roger Moore, who was Bond at that time. And Lucas said, no, I've got something that's even better. How, how could something be better than James Bond? Well, let me tell you about Indiana Jones. So they thought about casting David Hasselhoff, a young David Hasselhoff as Indiana Jones. Apparently Don Johnson from Miami Vice was considered. Even Jack Nicholson. But the guy they really wanted in the end was Tom Selleck. And, uh, in fact, if you go on my Twitter feed, I reposted this. There's a great, great thread on the, the backstory of the film. Lots of fun facts. It's even got uh, buried in there the screen test of Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones. And he did really well. But, unfortunately, he couldn't get out of his Magnum P.I. filming obligations to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. So Harrison Ford became the choice, and at the time, George Lucas was like, I, I don't want Ford. I mean, he, I just did Star Wars with him. I don't want him to be my Bobby De Niro. <laughs> I don't know what director always worked with Robert De Niro. You'd think that'd be a good thing, but uh, I don't know whether it's uh, Scorsese who said that originally. But in, anyways, well, they, they got Harrison Ford. And here, here's an interesting thing about Harrison Ford. And, and like I said, there is a spiritual application. So uh, Jim, Jim just uh, texted me saying, hey, they chose wisely with Ford. It, it's hard to imagine anybody else as Indiana Jones right now, let's face it. But he, here's an interesting thing about about Ford. And again, there is a great spiritual application to the Catholic life in this. You're listening to the Gail Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Billy Oppenheimer, who does a lot of research and work uh, for Ryan Holiday, who's written a series of books about Stoicism, really popular. Uh, on Twitter, Billy Oppenheimer shared the story about 
Harrison Ford's avocation. Yeah, he had another vocation other than acting. A lot of you guys probably know this. He also was a carpenter. Oh, I know somebody else was a carpenter, too. But anyways, in 1964, Harrison Ford moved to Hollywood, tried to make it into the, into the acting biz. But he said, you know, when I got there, I arrived on a bus full of other people, metaphorically speaking. They didn't all arrive on the same bus, but everybody had the same exact ambition. So he came up with a plan. And it's a simple plan, but it was pretty ingenious about how to prevail over his competition. So looking at some of the other aspiring actors in Hollywood around his age, he he became aware of something pretty quick. These guys were all in a big hurry to make it, to get famous, to make money, whatever, to prove something to someone, whatever the case might be. But a lot of these guys were on a really, really tight timeline. And so Harrison Ford said, hey, if they're going to zig, I'm going to zag. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. I'm going to lengthen out my timeline here. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time with this. And so I need another source of income. So if this acting thing doesn't work out, I'll be okay. So, he, so here's what he did. He actually became a carpenter. He became a carpenter. And that enabled him to kind of play the long game, to wait it out. So he said as, as the years went by, that initial class of people who were the same age as him, who arrived in Hollywood on that bus around the same time, the, the attrition rate just kind of eliminated these guys until there really were, wasn't too much competition for him, at least in the stuff that he was applying for, the roles he was going for. And he said this, he said, quote, I always saw life that way. You just have to find a way to stick it out. You just have to find a way to prevail. End of quote. And I, I saw Tom Brady uh, saying something very similar recently uh, on social media to to a group of aspiring NFL players. And he said, look, I became the GOAT basically by having longevity, by sticking it out, by persevering. Nobody wanted me. He was the 199th pick in the NFL draft. Uh, when he was at Michigan, his, his college coach didn't even want him to be the starting quarterback. At Michigan, uh, Lloyd Carr wanted this guy named Drew Henson to start over Tom Brady. Even though Tom Brady was winning games, his teammates loved him. He had the talent. But Drew Henson was this five-star recruit that couldn't miss baseball and football player at the same time. Eventually was drafted by the Yankees. Uh, he wanted him to play over Brady, but he didn't get it done. Brady was the better player, and he, he in time, prevailed. But uh, So we have to have a lot of stick-to-itiveness. And so here's, here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for the spiritual life. You've got to play the long game as well in the spiritual life. And God always plays the long game with us. So it, when it comes to becoming a saint, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, you're not going to be a canonizable saint tomorrow in all likelihood. But guess what? By the end of your life in the next 20 years, or maybe longer, hopefully, you can be. And, and that's what you should be aiming for, to be a canonizable saint. And you think, oh, that's too much. That's, I, I'm not capable of that. Well, you're not, but God is. God, God can do this for you. And everybody in heaven is a saint. So in, tr- technically speaking, anybody in heaven could have their own feast day on the calendar. But a lot of saints, I would say most saints, that's why I have All Saints Day, for the unknown saints, if you will. It's like the unknown soldiers of the church. We're not going to get our own Saints Day. We're not going to get one because probably no one's going to bother to open up the case, you know, for us. Oh, yeah, we're busy. So, but but having said that, if they were to open up a, a case, a legal case with Rome for your canonization, are, are you going to be beatified? Or are you going to be canonized? There should be evidence for your holiness. There should be enough evidence to convict you of holiness. So, uh, let that sink in. So, back to Harrison Ford for a second. So he chose to be a carpenter for really two reasons. Two reasons. 
And it's actually kind of brilliant. When he first moved to Hollywood, he lived in this dilapidated house. He had no money, couldn't afford anything else. So this broken down house, he's like, I got to fix this house up somehow. So he actually enjoyed it. He, he, he called it a form of meditation, teaching himself carpentry, fixing up his own home. And then he thought this. He said, look, Hollywood is the kind of town where everybody knows somebody else. You, you got to get word of mouth recommendations. So he figured if I'm really good at carpentry here, <laughs> if I could become the carpenter to the stars, I might be able to get an acting job out of this. So that's exactly what he did. He became the carpenter to the stars. So his clients included Francis Ford Coppola, famous director, James Caan, who of course was a famous actor in the Godfather films and other stuff, Richard Dreyfuss, other people. But in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, he really caught his big break. He was working at Francis Ford Coppola's offices, and he was building this elaborate portico entrance. And then Coppola's friend, George Lucas, was on his way in because he was having some casting meetings for Star Wars. And Harrison Ford said, well, George asked me if I could read with the other actors. And it just, he just needed a warm body to kind of you know, get through these auditions and it, it, no indication whatsoever that they're thinking about him for a part. So he read with 300 other actors. And a few weeks later, they asked him, Harrison Ford, if he wanted to be Han Solo. Uh, yeah. And so it, obviously that's where it all started for him. So there's a great strategy here, this idea of being a carpenter, you know, playing the long game. And that's, that's what they, they do in the military as well. And a lot of wars a lot of wars are won through what they call attrition because it's very very rare that you're going to win a war with one battle in fact uh, there's a, a military strategist uh, named bh lytle hart and he said that only two percent of all battles were won because of a direct attack so the majority of successful wartime armies throughout the ages they all had endurance they could last they could get through uh, their resources weren't depleted. So that's, that's what Harrison Ford exactly did. He, he, he figured out a way to prevail, to stick it out. And he said this, quote, lengthen your timeline. It's, oh, actually, he didn't say this. Ryan Holiday said this. Lengthen your timeline. It always takes longer than you think it's going to take. That's Hofstadter's law. And even when you take that law into account, you're still surprised at how long it takes. So that, that's, that's a great quote. And, and certainly Harrison Ford did that. And so we've got to do this in the spiritual life. We've got to play the long game. And we've got to understand that sanctity doesn't happen overnight. Oh, it's possible God could make you a saint overnight. That's not usually how he works. Thinking, thinking about carpentry, by the way, he always wants to work with the grain, not against the grain. So he's going to want to work with your unique makeup, the way that, that he's made you, the, the, the interests that you have, your, your abilities. We all have abilities on the natural level, natural skills. <laughs> carpentry is one of those things. Um, there's also supernatural gifts that he gives everybody. And on the Faith Explained Show, I've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit recently uh, in the wake of Pentecost and, and how God equips us for the tasks, the, the great monumental climb of becoming a saint and helping other people to become saints. It's really what the Catholic life is all about. Be a saint, help others to do so. That's evangelization. It's pretty simple in a nutshell. And so... There's that, there's our spiritual gifts, there's our heart, things that we're passionate about, there's our abilities, there's our personality. God always works with the grain, right? And then there are life experiences that we can use. And, and even the bad ones, we, if we've been through something, we can help somebody else, whether it's an addiction or just any kind of experience that we have uh, can be fruitful, not only for our own learning, because experience is a great teacher, although it's harsh at times, but 
we can help other people who are going through something as well. But just this whole idea of it takes time, and and there are movements of the Holy Spirit in people's lives that happen over time, like the tide going in and out. And sometimes you catch the tide, catch a wave, and you're off to the races. And other times, people seem un- unreceptive, sometimes for years, but we can't stop praying for them. So my question for you is, have you seen God play the long game with somebody and never give up, and it, and it kind of paid off? Triple eight nine one four. 9149 or in your life as well. Give me a call right now. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and we will be right back. Program triple eight nine one four nine one four nine Kale Clark show on Relevant Radio. So good to be with you for another week. And I asked you before the break, do you know anybody who God has really played the long game with and it paid off? Because you never gave up on this person. They came back to faith. Maybe it happened in your life. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We also talked about uh, how Harrison Ford played the long game in his Hollywood career and led to. Uh, roles in great films such as Raiders of the Lost Ark that was released 42 years ago today. Can you believe that? Well, one of the interesting things about uh, this idea of movies is that I think a lot of people walk around through life thinking their life is a movie and they're the star of it. We've kind of got to get off this mindset. And and speaking of uh, the Ark, now, of course, what's so cool about Raiders of the Lost Ark is that it does have a biblical theme (laughs) of sorts because the ark of the covenant what they're looking for the holiest object you know in the old covenant and what made it so holy of course i've talked about this a lot so i don't want to i don't want to belabor the point but it's really what it contained it wasn't so much that was made of beautiful acacia wood and it was overlaid with the finest gold it's what was inside of it the tablets upon which the finger of god inscribed the ten commandments and in today's uh uh, today's gospel, of course, at Mass, it was the Beatitudes, right? The Ten Beatitudes were mentioned. We'll talk about that later. So, Ten Commandments in the Old Law, Ten Beatitudes in the New Law that Jesus kind of dispenses on a new mountain, a new holy mountain, not Mount Sinai, but the Mount of Beatitudes. And so, there's the stone tablets of the Law in the Ark of the Covenant, and then, of course, there's also the priestly staff of Aaron that miraculously sprouted and, and budded uh, the high priest of the Old Covenant. And then there was a jar of the manna, the miracle bread from heaven that God fed the Israelites with on their journey to the Promised Land. And tomorrow on the Faith Explained show, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is really uh, firing up and really is, 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 is in the middle of everything when it comes to the Eucharist and how ordinary bread and wine can become for us the new manna, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. So um, make sure to join me at 1230 Central tomorrow. And so there was, of course, the miracle bread from heaven, the manna of the old covenant. There was the priestly staff of Aaron and the word of God on stone tablets, the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Old Covenant. And Luke, in his gospel, and I mentioned just this just the other day, so again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I'm happy to explain more 
you want to call in, if you have a question about it, 888-914-9149. Luke very much presents Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant in the visitation scene uh, in his gospel, and that eventually becomes this mystery of the rosary, the second joyful mystery. We pray the joyful mysteries today, it's being Monday. I'm going to do that later this evening on the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky, co-hosted by Maggie Greshel. And they're going to do, of course, they're going to pray together the joyful mysteries. And the second one is the visitation. So when Mary visits her relative Elizabeth, uh, Luke clearly portrays Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. Uh, Just as David in the Old Testament danced before the Ark of the Old Covenant, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth dances before Mary, the Ark of the New Covenant, the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Mary in her body contains not the Word of God, written on stone, but the Word made flesh, a person, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son. He is our great high priest, as it says in the letter to the Hebrews. Forget about the priestly staff of Aaron. This is on another level entirely. And of course, he is the true manna. He becomes the living bread, the Eucharist, uh, for us. And so it's unmistakable, the typology that that Luke is using here. But what I, I think is really cool also about the, the visitation scene and how Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, <sighs> Bishop Robert Barron talk, talks a lot about this when he, when he talks about the rosary. He talks about the speed that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth with because she's got her mission. He says that she now knows exactly what her role is, and this really started with the Annunciation. She knows what her role is in the theodrama. The theodrama. What's the theodrama? Well, to understand the theodrama, we've got to understand the opposite, which is the ego drama. The ego drama. And that's what most of us are trying to break out of. We we have to sort of reprogram ourselves. And the ego drama is this 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 idea that your life is a movie, and you're the writer, <laughs> you're the producer, you're the director, you're Spielberg, and you're all. Oh, by the way, you're also the star of this movie. And everybody else that, that's sort of around you in life is a supporting character. And, and, and we, we've got to absolutely get out of this, this mindset. And Mary knows that it's not about her. <laughs> life is not about her. It's about Jesus Christ. And she finds her identity in Christ. And it's a pretty, pretty incredible one. Uh, greater than you, no one but God, as St. Jose Maria said. But she, she knows her purpose. And the moment that she gets this from... Gabriel the Archangel, she, she says yes, gives her fiat. She's on her way, and she knows that, that life is this theodrama. How can we get people to Jesus Christ? What is my part to play in this theodrama? History, his story, how, how does this unfold throughout salvation history? Now, Mary knows her part, of course, but we have to figure out ours as well. And this is really what the concept of vocation really means. It's what it's all about. And People talk about religious life, of course. They talk about the vocation of the priesthood for the guys. They talk about uh, married life. Are you called to that? Some people are called to celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, and some people are trying to navigate life as a single person. They don't, they're not necessarily committed to celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. They don't know if that's their gift, but they're not married yet, so they're living a, a, a reality. Um, they don't know. Maybe God will call them to something else. Maybe God will present them with a marriage partner. I don't know. But no matter what case in which you find yourselves, you've got to figure out how to how your situation folds into 
this theodrama. And that, obviously, the leading man here is Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. And, and we've got to figure out what role we're playing uh, in this epic. And it really is an epic journey. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 so, so how do we do that? Well, obviously, we've got to be praying uh, very, very intently. We've got to be reading the scriptures. We've got to have uh, Christ speaking to us through his word. We're going to hopefully be taking advantage of spiritual direction if it's possible and getting that second set of eyes from that spiritual physician, if you will, um, giving us the prescription for where we should go. And, and that's just a great advantage to be able to have that. In looking at the lives of the saints, looking at, at Mary's life and all the other saints, because as Mark Twain once said, you know, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And it certain does, certainly does in the lives of the saints as well. We see patterns emerging, the way that God deals with people. And sometimes when we get familiar with the lives of the saints, we can find a window into our own situation and, and think about that. And it's messy sometimes. It's not always going to be super, super clear uh, what God wants us to do, what our path is. We don't know how this movie is going to end, if you will to press that analogy even fur- further. But when we think about the visitation, where we're praying that, that decade of the rosary, or even at Christmas time, and we're contemplating nativity scenes in the manger and, and all that stuff, we, d- we don't often think about the messiness of the situation and how, how on the ground, you know, dealing with <laughs> the mud, the stones, the, and the bones and the blood and everything. And it's, a, it's about an 80 or so mile trip to the hill country for, for Mary and doing that over a period of days uh, wasn't able to take a high speed train, wasn't able to take a bullet train, wasn't able to hop in the car obviously, had to go on the back of a donkey probably I don't know how many people were with her certainly the angels were accompanying her but it's it's a dangerous trip and robbers are on the road and it's it's not that easy it's not that easy, I'm sure that Elizabeth herself dealing with this pregnancy in in old age yeah she was overjoyed but she also realized man life is about to get a lot more complicated (laughs) a lot more messy so we've got to really be cognizant of that about the fact that we've got to pray and we've got to understand that god's in the middle of this uh with us just like indiana jones got out of so many jams in that movie and and there's a line i think in the film where someone says to him you know indy what do we do now and he says i have no idea i'm making it up as i go along (laughs) well we're not we're not making it up. We, we've got the playbook to follow. We know what we've got to do uh, to become saints, and we know the pattern that we have to follow, and that's of, of the real hero, the God-man, Jesus Christ. We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Got a couple open phone lines if you want to call in. Great time to do it, 888 Got a question or comment? Love to hear it. And we'll be right back after this break. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Monday, the 12th of June. We've been talking about how we need to kind of reorient our lives from the ego drama where our life is a movie and we're playing the starring role to the theodrama. This is what Bishop Barron says. We, we've really got to understand this is God's story and we've got to play our part. And Jesus Christ, of course, is the author, he is the director of this this whole uh, enterprise, and he is also the centerpiece, and it's all about him. That's where we're going to find our identity. 
Another thing about about the movies too, and we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the new Indiana Jones movie that's coming out. Is it a good idea or not? I don't know. They may have gone to the well one too many times with this one, but you probably had the experience of being late for a movie and you do your best to get there on time, but maybe you run into traffic or something and you're walking to the theater. It's already dark. It's already rolling. And you're trying to piece together the story. What? And you're, you're just not quite sure what's happening and you have to try to piece it together. If you'd only gotten there on time, then, and I know there's about half an hour of credits, you know, or not credits, but previews before the, uh, before the movie starts these days. But if you'd only gotten there on time, you would have been able to piece it together. So th- this, is, this is one reason why we shouldn't be late for movies, number one. And number two, we shouldn't neglect the beginning part of the Bible. When we're talking about different cues that we can use, we need the script for our own holiness. Well, a lot of that is going to be found in the sacred scriptures. And that's why during the, during the Faith Explained program, I made sure that I did a series on the book of Genesis because the beginning really sets the tone for the rest of the scriptures. The way God works throughout history is always the same um, through the various covenants that he makes with people. And we also did the Exodus story, Genesis and Exodus. So really, in a sense, they're just one gigantic book. I mean, yes, they are split up, but the two of them are very, very uh, intertwined. And so we've got to kind of get this. The more we can get it, the more we'll understand the New Testament stuff. So uh, a good friend of mine, actually, that um, I went to school with and uh, went to grad school with, Ian Valencourt, um, he's an Old Testament scholar now, and he actually wrote an article about this about how we shouldn't be late for the movies and we should not uh, miss the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And this is really, he says that it's really the first act in the grand story of God. And so uh, the first Christians kind of knew this, they, they got this and they, they were able to, to assimilate the message of Jesus a lot easier. And it, and it might seem counterintuitive to you, but the deeper you go in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's, it's kind of like going from watching a movie in the old days, black and white film, to being in there in, the, in an IMAX, ultra IMAX, you know, 4K, I don't know, they might give you the goggles and everything, who knows, with Apple Vision Pro, you could do it in your own home now one day, but anyways, uh, th- that's the kind of difference that, that you're going to see when you, when you look at the scripture, and so that's the grand, grand uh, drama. Of, of God's life. And the first Christians really understood this. Like, think about St. Paul, who was, of course, Saul from Tarsus, the Pharisee. Uh, he was absolutely marinating himself in the Old Testament all the time, especially the Pentateuch, the first five books. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he spent his first years kind of rethinking, as my friend Ian Valancourt says, he, he really spent his first years rethinking the entire Old Testament. And it, was, it kind of blew his mind because, again, he did not think that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was a false Messiah. Obviously, he was involved in the first Christian martyrdom, the murder of St. Stephen. Uh, who knows? Maybe some others that didn't make it into the scriptures, but he was certainly rounding up uh, the believers, breathing out murderous threats against the believers, as, as the New Testament says, having them thrown in prison. He didn't, he didn't think clearly that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures, but once he realized who Jesus was, he had to rethink things. He really had to um, examine the scriptures with a fresh light. And so this, this is it. Um, for the Gentile converts to the church, yeah, they didn't have necessarily a biblical worldview, 
So when they were learning about uh, the scriptures for the first time, don't forget, the New Testament didn't exist yet. So these Gentile converts, they were also reading the Old Testament. So we, we can never, it never goes out of style. It never goes out of style. And St. Augustine said that the New Testament is in the Old concealed. The Old Testament is in the New revealed. Um, another theologian said that the gospel is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. And without it, the gospel hangs suspended in the air. The Old Testament is the pedestal on which the gospel rests and the root out of which it came forth. It's true. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't even make sense uh, without understanding a little bit, at least, of the foundation. So when you, if you were to pick up your Bible and hold it in your hand, maybe you have it close to you, you'd see that I, I've, the vast majority of the Bible is the Old Testament. You know, just 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 pick it up in your hand, split up the old and the new. You're, 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 you know, it's a big, big chunk. It's a little bit like an iceberg where only part of the iceberg is over the water. The vast bulk is underneath. Well, that's, that's the Old Covenant, and that's the foundation that you need to know. And so when we understand things like, and, and he gives one example, Ian Valancourt, just one example of things from the first five books of the Bible that makes so much more sense when we think about the New Covenant. Think about the idea of Jesus as our high priest as our great high priest. Now, I already mentioned to you that Mary's the Ark of the New Covenant. Uh, the Old Covenant Ark had the staff of Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, Aaron. And then Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary, he is our new high priest. And here's what it says about him in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4. It says, Since we then have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's a, that's a famous passage there about Jesus as our great high priest. And so if you're reading that and you've ne you don't know the Old Testament, a lot of this is going to go over your head. You'll kind of get... The gist of it, I guess, but, you know, this idea that, okay, Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses, he shares our human nature, uh, he can relate to this idea of temptation, he endured temptation, uh, was able to resist it, we can draw strength from that, he didn't sin like we do, but what about stuff like, hang on here, the throne, okay, uh, drawing near with confidence, okay, well, look at the high priest in, in the Pentateuch, in, in the Old Testament, like look at look at um, Genesis chapter three is a great example. The Garden of Eden, the the Old Testament, the priest would minister in the tabernacle, and when you when you look at the tabernacle, and we looked at this when when we did the Exodus series um, on the Faith Explained show, the entrance to the tabernacle was on the east side, and that immediately would make everybody think about the Garden of Eden, right? Because what was the exit point? East of Eden, right? They were kicked out of the garden, Adam and Eve, in the east. And then there was the the angel with the flaming sword. You can't get, get back in here. It's like a propeller blade in Indiana Jones. One of his enemies was chopped up by a propeller blade uh, on a plane. I hate to spoil the film for you if you didn't see it. But but that's exactly what would, would have happened to them if they tried to get back in. That flaming sword spinning around, forget it. So the idea that if you can get into the tabernacle through this east gate, you're kind of one step 
you know, back to getting back to Eden, getting back to some sort of paradise that God had foreordained for you. Oh, yeah, and another thing, too, there's cherubim that are embroidered onto the curtain to the inner part of the tabernacle. Ah, just like the cherubim guarded the way to the place where God dwelled in Genesis chapter 3. Huh. So guess what? The high priest, he goes in, he goes through the curtain, and guess what? Guess what's there? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And that, of course, had the mercy seat on top. There are these two angels with their wings extended. That was called the mercy seat. If you've seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't read the Bible, maybe you've seen the movie. But that was the mercy seat, the very throne of God, who sits enthroned above the cherubim, as the scriptures say. So that's okay. It's all starting to make a little bit more sense here. And then when we look at Exodus further, and we talked about this in our series, the high priest has, has, has these vestments that he wears, a long sleeveless apron. It was called an ephod. And it had stones on the front, on this breastplate, and on the shoulders. And these stones were onyx stones, and they had the names of the 12 tribes engraved on them. Once again, it's the Garden of Eden, because guess what was in the Garden of Eden? A bunch of stuff, but onyx stones. Genesis chapter 2, verse 12. Ah, the attentive reader kind of gets this. And so what, what basically is being said here is that the high priest, he carries the people of God with him when he goes into God's presence. He's got the names of the tribes inscribed on these stones. And there's all these other gems and stones that are mentioned there that were also, by the way, in the Garden of Eden. So this is, this is not by accident. And then there's the Day of Atonement, right? Yom Kippur. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 16. And this is a sin offering, right? There were goats that were taken there, and the goat whose lot fell on Yahweh was a sin offering, and the goat whose lot fell on Azazel was to be presented alive before Yahweh to make atonement over it, that it might be sent away into the wilderness. And that was the famous scapegoat, right? So we, we could go on and on and on, but then when you read Hebrews in light of this, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Because in Hebrews chapter 4, it says Jesus is our high priest. He carries us, if you will, into the very presence of God. He intercedes for us, just as the high priest in the Old Covenant had the names of, of the tribes on his breastplate. Jesus kind of gives, gives us, it says in Revelation, he's going to give us a new name, but he, he kind of has his name, our name is almost you know, engraved in the palm of his hand. The Old Testament says that, you know, God's got our names you know, engraved into the palms of his hands. Well, that really, we see that in the wounds of Christ, those, those wounds from the nails. That's the engraving. That's how much he loves us. And he takes us, if you will, symbolically into the Holy of Holies and, and pleads our case before the Father. And he offers the perfect sacrifice himself. And, and he's continually offering that sacrifice before the Father. So it's so almost saying, see, Father, look what I've done for them. So uh, there's just so much here that we, that we can see. And so um, don't ignore the old covenant scriptures. We need to be total Bible Catholics. All right? It's really, really important for us to do this. So don't be late for the movies. And don't miss the first act of the scriptures. The Pentateuch, you're listening to. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Christopher in Wilbur, Nebraska. Hi, Christopher. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Can you hear me? I sure can. 
Go ahead. Okay, so I was just curious. I, I, I listen to the show from time to time, and I, I'm i not Catholic by any means. I, I go to an apostolic church. Uh, we preach holiness and Jesus only. Uh, okay. We also preach baptism in Jesus' name mm-hmm. and uh, repentance and being filled with the Holy Ghost, as well as laying of hands and speaking of tongues. But I don't know that I've ever experienced any of that through a Catholic church. And I have a lot of pastors go for uh, confession, and they go talk to a a priest Mm -hmm. to be absolved of their sins. So Okay, Christopher, I think I got the gist of, of what you're saying. Um, unfortunately, your cell connection kind of cut out, but please do stay on the line, and uh, we'll try to get you reconnected here, and um, you can listen uh, on the radio here as you're driving. Really appreciate you listening to the show, and I, I think it's great. Like One of the things about our show, about the Kale Clark Show, is we get a lot of people who aren't Catholic who listen to the show, and I'm so thankful for you guys. No matter what your background is, I'm glad that you're listening uh, you're part of the conversation, and I'm glad that you called in, Christopher, and certainly anybody can call in. It's a great place uh, to chat, and that's one of the reasons why we have Relevant Radio, because we want to broadcast and be available to everybody, wherever you may be, as we all seek the truth together. And so uh, Christopher mentioned that he's uh, part of a Protestant group uh, called an Apostolic Church. There are these apostolic denominations, and we would just say, you know, in the Catholic Church, we we... We have something called apostolic succession. We could say we're the original apostolic church because we are, of course, founded by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ established the 12 apostles as the new Israel, the church. And just as Israel had 12 tribes, we have 12 apostles in the church. And so the successors of the apostles are the bishops of the church. And even in the first centuries, there's a lot of confusion about which church Jesus founded, because there were other groups that kind of broke away from the Catholic Church right near the beginning. Uh, it wasn't just a, in the in the Protestant Revolution in the 16th century that this started to happen. This started to happen almost right away, and you can read in the Acts of the Apostles about uh, people who split off uh, from the Apostolic Church. And so how did you know that you were in the church that Jesus founded? Well, one of the uh, early uh, saints of the church uh, talked about about this a lot. Uh, a lot of saints talked about this. Ignatius of Antioch uh, talked about the bishop. Um, he said, and he really was the first person to to coin the term. Well, I don't know if he coined it. He coined the term Catholic Church. Maybe it might have been in existence before him because he just sort of says this. He kind of drops this in one of his letters, and he doesn't explain it. He's sort of assuming that his readers know what this is. He says, wherever uh, you find the bishop. Um, you find Jesus Christ. And wherever you find Jesus Christ, you find the Catholic Church. And so that's the first known usage of the term Catholic Church, 107 AD. And they had, they had to call, they had to come up with a name for the church that Jesus founded because there were all these other groups saying, oh no, we actually have the true teachings of Jesus Christ. You should join us over here. Well, the true teachings of Jesus Christ were kept in the apostolic church, the original apostolic church, and they were passed on through the apostolic succession of bishops. And how did you know you were in the Catholic Church? Well, your bishop could trace his ordination all the way back to the original 12. And Tertullian, a writing much later, a couple centuries later, talked about the fact, 4th century, I believe, that, that 
you could actually go to some of these apostolic churches like the Catholic Church at Rome or Ephesus and you could find the actual letter, let's say, that St. Paul wrote to the original copy of the letter to the Ephesians or the letter to the Romans, the autograph. And every church also zealously kept their list of bishops in succession from the apostles. So that's that's how they, and Jesus knew that this, this was going to happen. Um, there was going to be strife over who's leading the church after the death of the apostles. So he, he, he foresaw this. With respect to confession, you mentioned confession. Well, that's in John chapter 20. It's very biblical. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the 12, and the 11 really, uh, and then he, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And so this is um, vocal confession. How, how do they know which sins to forgive and which they uh, must be retained unless people told them their sins? And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is what happens. Now, you also mentioned other gifts of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues. Um, and you say you've, you've never seen this, Christopher, in, in any Catholic group. Well, they do, they do exist. There, there are charismatic Catholic groups uh, who do uh, manifest these um, charismatic gifts of the Spirit, you could say, uh, the gift of speaking in tongues, which is really, uh, it's really prayer. It's an ecstatic prayer language. Uh, I, I do happen to think it's real. I, I don't have the gift of tongues, uh, but I, I do happen to think it's real. Um, if you don't have that, if you're listening and you think, I can't speak in tongues, I can't pray in tongues, uh, that don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. St. Paul could do it. He talked about that. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. However, I would rather use five intelligible words to instruct someone in the faith than pray 10,000 words in a tongue. What does he mean by that? Well, because if I'm praying in tongues, well, God understands what I'm saying, but nobody else does unless there's an interpreter. So um, it's great for me because it builds up my soul, my spirit, but but nobody else can really know what's going on. So I'd rather instruct somebody. I was going to say in plain English, but clearly Paul wasn't speaking English uh, in, in a language that they can understand. So I don't know if that helps to answer your question, Christopher, but... Uh, Please call back another time. It's great to hear from you. Really appreciate that call and really appreciate everybody listening on the airwaves on Relevant Radio. It's been the Kale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alock took your phone calls. We'll be back again tomorrow. God bless. Stay tuned for Timory plus the Family Rosary Across America. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.